I, I just want to open with a couple of things and then, and then prayer, and then I've got some kind of remarks that I guess I could say I've prepared. First of all, I think this is really awesome, actually. I'm, I'm wowed by this because, I don't know, give or take on an average Sunday, how many people come to Maricopa Springs? 100-ish adults or something like that. I didn't count how many people are in here, but let's say 30%. Uh, that's pretty rad. I think that most people are not interested in these kinds of discussions. So to have this many people here encourages me. Um, <clears throat> just a couple of things about kind of the format. This is super casual. So the restrooms are right outside the door. Use the restrooms. There's food and water over here. Grab some munchies. Um, and uh, we may even have some people. Uh, sorry, one second. Uh, I know, right? Thank you. Sorry. Jim Jim is trying to rent a van for camp, and I guess because I'm one of the drivers, they need my driver's license. So, okay. Anyway. Um, uh, yeah, feel free to get up, use the restroom, uh, grab some food, water, whatever you need to do. Again, super casual. This is a mic right here. The reason is because many people ask for, um, John, will you try and wheel those chairs over there? Or you can just set them up over here. Come on over. I will try my hardest. Um, there were lots of people... <laughs> There were lots of other people who attend Maricopa Springs, snowbirds and those kinds of things, people on vacation, and uh, they wanted to um, at least get an idea of what was taking place in this conversation. So I am trying to record it. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully I can get the discussion. <clears throat> it looks like it's going okay on my laptop. Hey boy, Johnny. <clears throat> so uh, before kind of my, my statements here, let me pray for us, okay? God, I thank you so much for your people and just how through two millennia we have, well, even before that with the Old Testament, we have labored to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, which gives us wisdom uh, to understand these things that are lofty and even beyond the comprehension of the natural man. And so we, man, we just worship you that you are a God who has revealed himself, and I pray that this discussion would be, um, would be fruitful in our lives to come to know you more. I pray that it would be guided by your Holy Spirit, that, that, we, would be, um, that we would represent your son Jesus well in the way that we discuss and treat one another. And I pray, too, that, um, that you would open our eyes to deeper things, that we would be even more hungry to know your word and to draw near to you. And so we pray that you would bless this time for your sake, for your glory, for your kingdom, for your people. Amen. Um, there's a birthday party through that door. So at least you know if the conversation doesn't go well, you can go next door for some cake or something. Uh, I just want to make mention of the just the goodness of God, actually, in this process, okay? Um, man, I, I would say maybe this has been going on for like a year or something like that. And through this process, people have grown. Like, I would say, I would venture to say that maybe even half the people in this room six months ago, if we had done this, might not be here. Um, just maybe not interested. But because of what God's been doing in you, you've been growing, you're more curious. So people have grown. Our faith has been deepened. I would say that relationships have been stretched, which can be a good thing. God has borne fruit through the conversations, caused us to go back and study his word more. And I would be willing to bet that there's more fruit that God intends to bear if we are faithful to uh, continue this process of kind of wrestling and discussing and loving one another through that, um, gracious in our treatment of one another. So I look forward to that as well. I, I don't, 
I don't really anticipate this as an ending point, but rather as sort of even a beginning point. So my objective here, uh, my objective is not at all to solve this discussion, okay? Um, good people have been trying to do that. I, I, would, I would venture to say all the way back to Augustine, Augustine. Um, so it's not a new discussion. If you want to put it in the terms of Calvinism and Arminianism, then that's been going on since, what, the 1600s? So it's been quite a while. If other very intelligent, hardworking people have not solved it, I'm not so uh, ignorant as to think that we will in two hours on Saturday, okay? Um, so rather, and, I, and I, let me add to that. My goal is not even for us as a church to come to a consensus on this, truly, okay? Um, my goal is rather to figure out a way to discuss these kinds of things and maybe even ultimately disagree on some of these things while rejoicing together in our love for Jesus and the work that he's doing amongst his people in the church, in Maricopa, that, that even though we may end up on different sides of some of these kinds of discussions, that we're still a people who are worshiping God for his grace and his love. And, and I would say uh, what I find significant is that there is far more that unites us than divides us when it comes to our understanding of Scripture. Far more. I'm not saying that the things that divide us are not insignificant. I think that they're actually significant. They're worth doing this kind of thing about. But regardless of that, there's more that we're in agreement on than we disagree on. Um, and I, I would say that even if we're not wholly uniform in our understanding of Scripture, this is kind of what I was getting at when I brought this up at church a few weeks ago, was that I, I would be so bold as to venture to say that everyone in this room is in agreement on our statement of faith at Maricopa Springs. And that's why I say we believe firmly as leaders, as elders at Maricopa Springs, that that's what we want to stand on and be united around. And I would say that if you affirm everything in our statement of faith, then, I, again, I would be so bold as to say that the Spirit of God is alive in you, that you have... Uh, a saving belief, a saving trust in Jesus as Lord. Um, and so uh, we, we're, we're amongst brothers and sisters. And I might even go so far as to say this, what God has brought together, let not man separate. Okay, I understand contextually that that's meant for marriage, but if you think about the church being the bride of Christ, then what God has brought together, let not man separate. Um, so I, I lay that before you. Here are my three primary concerns sort of within that objective, okay? And I think that probably every person in this room needs to consider carefully at least one of these and apply it, okay? So here they are. I'll, I'll lay them out, I'll say them, and then I'll, I'll, I'll explain them, okay? So first of all, that we be biblical. Second, that we be courageous. And third, that we be gentle. Okay? Now, when I say that we be biblical, I think every person needs to be continually sort of evaluating their position in light of what Scripture teaches. Okay? Um, none of us are complete in our process of growing in likeness to Christ. None of us have the mind of God and understand fully what Scripture means. And so we need to be continually evaluating what we believe, what we say, what we proclaim, what we live out in light of what Scripture teaches. Again, that doesn't mean that we're always going to agree, but it means that we have to be humble enough to accept that our level of knowing is not complete. Okay? It, may be, it may be great, it may be true, it may be right on, it may be vast, but it's not complete. Okay? 
So I think that that should bring a level of humility. So we have to humble ourselves, therefore, before the word of God. And I would say this, be open to what it teaches, even if that thing is um, not what we currently believe. And let me, let me try and say that more carefully. When, when it comes to this idea of specifically Calvinism and Arminianism, people tend to come to the conversation with presuppositions. There's no way around that. All I'm asking is that you be willing to say, if scripture proves it, that you be willing to say, man, this is a presupposition that I've been holding, and now that I look more closely at the word of God, I'm willing to give that presupposition up, okay? And I think everybody needs to be willing to do that. Um, I would be willing to bet that if I asked you to create for yourself a doctrinal statement on all the finer points of Christianity, we would have 50 different doctrinal statements for 50 different people in the room, okay? We would not all agree on every point. So let's bend our, our, our understandings to scripture, not scripture to our will. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what I mean by biblical. Again, I'm not so naive as to, as to, to believe that when I say biblical, that, that means that we all agree, because that's never been the case in the church, unfortunately. Okay, um, which is a mystery in and of itself, right? Maybe that's the first question to ask God. Like, when we get there, why not just a lot more, like, emphatic unity and clarity on some of these things that the church wrestled with? Okay, second, courageous. Look, Jesus never avoided conflict. Like, he ran headfirst into conflict. Uh, I'm sure that on the, on the side of his, like, manness, his human nature, he did not love that. Uh, I don't know anybody who really is, like, a lover of conflict, but he didn't avoid it. And so I would say that Scripture doesn't leave it open for us to choose not to engage in some topics. So, honestly, the church should be the kind of place where, actually, in, a, in, a, in an appropriate way, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? <laughs> Happy birthday. Maybe, maybe that one needs to come over here and sit for a while. No cakes. Happy birthday. He's just trying, trying to show that he's courageous. What's that? You thought you were getting away from I know, right? I was just thinking, that. well, this is just like working in my office at home. <laughs> um... What I'm getting at here with Be Courageous is that there are not certain passages of Scripture that we can go, man, I just don't like that one, so I don't really want to talk about it. Or that one presses my perspective, so I'm not willing to engage with it. Um, I, I've got some, some uh, pastors that I get together with like once a month. We do lunch, and we, we read Scripture, and we talk theology. And one of the things that we banter back and forth, maybe I've told you this story, is when somebody throws out a point that another person doesn't really like, then the other person responds by going, well, I just throw that part of the Bible out. You know? <laughs> it's sort of just a joking way for us to say, like, that's a tough point, okay? <coughs> so all I'm saying with this one is, I don't think it's fair for a Christian to say, I talk about these things, but not these things. If scripture talks about it, then we should talk about it. So let's be courageous to do that. And here's what I would say with that, too. Um, one of the things I love about Christianity is that the, the, the most committed atheist can poke and prod and take a sledgehammer to it all day long, and it's not going to crumble. And the reason is because the truth is it, it, it's invincible. You can't tear it down, right? Now, there may be some times where somebody tosses something out where I'm like, man, I don't know. I need to think more deeply about that. But here's the thing. If what you are standing on is true, then no matter how hard somebody attacks it, it's not going to crumble underneath you. If it crumbles, then you need to reevaluate what you're standing on. Okay? 
So I think that we should be bold to do that. We should be courageous to do that. Um, so we have to engage with everything the Bible says. And I would say it's not appropriate for us to decide that there are some things that we're willing to talk about and others that we're not willing to talk about. So, and props to you guys, because here you are willing to talk about it. <laughs> Third, that we be gentle. The reason why a lot of people don't want to talk about this is because at some point they've interacted with somebody who disagreed and did it in a way that was hurtful, that was, that was wrong, that was not appropriate, that was not honoring to Jesus, that wasn't biblical, that wasn't kind. And so I would say in both these discussions, uh, I'm sorry, in these discussions both today and ongoing, even when we're talking about things that maybe press us and make us uncomfortable and passages that are difficult to understand, we need to be gentle and to please the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that we treat one another. Um, so here, here's one thing that I want you to understand. God does not need you to defend his honor. <laughs> he will do that quite well himself. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to defend your position, your interpretation, your understanding. It doesn't mean that you're even not allowed to press people in theirs. I think we should do that. But God doesn't need you to defend his honor. He's quite capable of doing that himself. Okay. Um, so, uh, any questions on that part so far? I have just some guiding principles, but before we do that, I want to make sure no questions, nothing unclear on those points. I have a question with that Slack thing. Yeah, I kind of sometimes want to share things, but I don't want to put something out there that's going to offend somebody. <laughs> so, I, I don't think that the church should be a place where we tiptoe around offending people. That's very that's that's a cultural value. I don't think it's a church value. In the, in the, now, of course, the way that you do it is significant. So what I would say is, uh, and man, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that because people are conditioned on Facebook to become very nasty. So Slack could end up becoming like an internal church version of that. I will try my best to make that not happen. But what I would say is I, I would encourage you to share it. Uh, if somebody, you know, posts something back, then I would take that conversation private and I would just say, Hey, I wasn't trying to offend you. Let's let's talk about this more. Let me call you. Let's sit down. You know, whatever. That's what I would say. Good question. Just keep your fingers in check. Yeah. <laughs> be in good tone. Yeah. Don't 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 be a well, yeah. <laughs> I, I I I would imagine that that I I, I don't think that you'll have a hard time. <laughs> yeah. I know your I know your heart. You're, I, I don't think that you'll be too um, unkind with that. Any other questions on any of those things? So let me say it one more time. Just we be biblical. My, my primary concern is that we be biblical, that we be courageous, and that we be gentle. Wow, this may be an easier conversation than I anticipated. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe you, maybe you just need more clarification. I hope nobody would disagree with that. Um, or maybe there's you know an, an additional thing that that is on your card, but. So here are some guiding principles for our time together, okay? Um, I, I, uh, I, I have an article that I've been working on for the, for the paper called, that I'm intending to, um, to title Conquering Conflict Like a Champ, and really just looking at what Jesus does when it comes to conflict. I thought I brought that. Where did I put that thing? Um, oh, there it is, okay. So real quick, let me just share these principles for how I, I think biblically Jesus dealt with conflict. First of all, Matthew 18, when there's conflict, you go right to it with somebody. So I think if there's some kind of moment here today where things do get tense, I would encourage you not to go home and harbor bitter feelings, but 
to find a time to go and talk with that person and, and say specifically what you said or how you said it or, or the way that you approached me, um, you know, it, 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 it came across wrong. Or even I noticed that I might have done that to you, so will you forgive me for that? Second Matthew 7, Jesus brings up, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own eye? Again, you, you may find that somebody's theology is deficient, but uh, you may find that yours is also deficient in some ways. So consider that in the way that you treat other people. Third, Matthew seven twelve, the golden rule, right? I mean, this is a simple article for non-believers. It's going to be in the newspaper, but Jesus says very simply, however you would want to be treated, that's how you should treat other people, right? So I would encourage you to think about those things as well. Next, verses. One of the, when, when I say we want to be biblical, one of the things that drives me crazy, and I've probably said this to some of you in different contexts, is when somebody says, well, I just don't feel like God would do that. I just don't feel like that's how Christians should live. Okay, um, Okay. thank you for sharing, but God doesn't really care in this kind of discussion how you feel. He has revealed how he expects you to behave, what he expects you to know, those kinds of things. So, verses. Now, that having said that, we're not going to have time for deep exegesis here. We just have two hours less than that because I keep talking. <laughs> so, all, all I'm asking by verses is if you have a, have a point, I would like you to show that, that it's supported by Scripture. Somebody may have a counterpoint. Again, we don't have time to go into all the nitty-gritty of that. There are long books written on those kinds of things. If you'd like to see any of those, you can. Um, what all, all I'm doing is you may highlight a verse that somebody else has not thought about before in a context in which somebody has not thought about it before. And that allows us to go, ooh, that's interesting. You know what, my, my, my interpretation of this has not yet made sense of that passage yet. Okay, does that kind of make sense? All right, next up, don't hog the mic like I'm doing. Um, <laughs> what I mean by that is, uh, I want people to be able to share, but there's a lot of people in this room, so I would just ask that whatever your, your comments are, you try and just keep them succinct so that we can hear them, process them, and continue the conversation. So I will interrupt you if, if you hold the mic or the, 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 the room for you know five minutes, I will interrupt you and ask you to stop, okay? Um, and if we need to have ongoing conversations, we'll do this again, woohoo. Um, listen to hear, not only reply, Man, my wife has helped me learn that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, where you're only listening so that you can gain your points to make a rebuttal versus actually listening to hear what, what the person is saying to you, okay? And then try not to interrupt. I just want to be able to let people express their, their, um, their thoughts in full before we move on. Okay, any questions about uh, guiding principles? All right. Where do we go from here? Um, did I, does everybody have a book, one of these things? Okay. Um, well, uh, I already gave some verses. Hopefully you guys at least looked at the first page where I put those verses on there. Just some things about Jesus saying, learn from me from gentle and lowly in heart. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in humility. Um, there's one body and one spirit. Um, <clears throat> so, man, even that one from Leviticus... You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, unless you incur sin because of him. It's an interesting one as well. 
So let me, let me I don't really have like a, a firm direction from here. I guess I think what I'll go to is this idea that's been bouncing around in my head as I've been having these conversations is, again, some of you I've had these with already, the character of God versus the ontology of God. This is one that I've been mulling over, okay? I think a lot of times when I hear, um, well, let me, let me do one other thing first, because I don't know that I've ever actually admitted this. I'm a, I'm a five-point Calvinist. Um, I, I don't expect you to necessarily agree with me on that. Uh, maybe that comes as even a surprise to some of you. I don't, <laughs> I don't, my, my, my story with this is, like, I encountered this when I was 16 and began reading my Bible looking for these things. Uh, my freshman year of college, I read the entire Bible cover to cover, annotating every place that I thought could be a support for Calvinism, every place I thought could be a support for Arminianism. Truthfully, and I know some of you are going to disagree with this, when I came to the end, I found myself leaning towards Calvinism, but sort of not really caring anymore. Um, and, <laughs> and, 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 the, and the reason is because I think on both sides of this discussion, there are some, some good arguments that are difficult for us to reason through. Let me go to the character versus ontology thing, and then I'll let you guys respond. Um, I hear, I think, a lot of times from those who would stand in the Arminian camp that it's difficult for them to accept the character of a God who would create people only to condemn them eternally to hell. Um, and I hear that argument. I mean, that is, that's a weighty idea. I mean, if we even sat and just for a minute honestly thought about the concept of hell, in any seriousness, we would probably decide it'd be better for us to be outside telling people at the pool that they need Jesus. Okay, so I get that idea. On the other side of it... Maybe we should be. Maybe we should be, right? Seriously. Um, thank you, Trevor. Seriously. Uh, on, the, on the other side of this, I think for many on the Calvinist camp, what is significant is... Scripture's explanation of who God is. When I, when I say the word ontology, that just means being, God in his being. Uh, correct me on this, right? Ont is the Greek verb for being, I am, right? Ont, it's, it's, it's like the to be verb in Greek. So ontology, God's being. Well, it's difficult to comprehend the God of Scripture, for me at least, in any terms beyond he is the mover of all things. So I, I think on both camps you have people trying to lift up things that Scripture does speak to. How do we reconcile that? I'm not entirely sure. Um, all right, I've spent 30 minutes talking. I'm sorry. Where are you guys at? Or Okay, to be clear. Yes. Because I'm not a Calvinist doesn't make me an Arminian. True. And I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a Lutheran. Don't put... Don't make two camps. I'm right. just not a Calvinist. Sure. And, uh, and if, you did, if you had a chance to look through some of the paperwork there, my goal in giving you that was to, was to represent some, like, kind of a breadth of, of spectrums. You've got John Stott, who, like, could not be more Calvinist, to, um, I, I forget, it was a website that I got it off of that had, like, the four hermeneutical, hermeneutical principles for interpreting scripture. I don't know if you saw all those. It wasn't hermeneutical principles. I forget what it was. Um, anyway, and, and sort of everything in between. I was trying to give a, 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 
a fair representation of many different um, pieces of this spectrum. So, and I would add to that just because I'm a, just because I'm an Arminian doesn't mean I'm not a, a Christian, or just because I'm a Calvinist doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. Well, we always talk about two camps. <laughs> yeah, and I don't like camps. Sure, fair enough. We should probably take the camp. All right, Trevor, you were going to throw well, something I'm just going to maybe ask a question to elaborate when you say, I wouldn't fit into this camp, but I'm not this positively. You're not a Calvinist. Where, like, where would you disagree and where would you say you differ? Calvinist? Well, if you say I'm not yeah, an Arminian, like this sheet here <laughs> has five points and has five points. So if you're saying I'm not this, but I'm not this, what would you be? With Arminian, not an Arminian, because I, I believe that in eternal security. Okay, so so do the Calvins, but the Calvins to me look at eternal security because God predestined at the beginning that you were to be saved unconditionally. So you can't lose your salvation because God ahead of time already picked you, so you can't lose your salvation. I, I don't look at it, I look at it as when you're saved, Christ has you. He has you and he's not going to lose you. Well, that, And I would say that's actually the Calvinistic perspective. It's not simply that God elects us, but it's that the Holy Spirit picks that us. God chose ahead of time. Who is God? Well, that's one part of Calvinism, but that's not why we... And that's one work. part of it that I have a huge problem with. So, one of the things I think is helpful is to consider, and I think the, the article that, that he was talking about with C.S. Lewis probably looked at this best, this idea that what we're trying to do is talk about God in terms of human perspective. Um... So, uh, and, and maybe even my illustration from a couple of weeks ago is, is somewhat, and all I'm saying about that is that, that I think that that should give us a, a, a level of humility in the conversation as well, okay? So again, if I ask my kid, what is gravity? They can tell me it's what keeps my feet on the ground, but they're not going to go into like Einstein's theory of relativity to help me understand what gravity is because, right? I hope they don't. Well said. Me too. Then I'm going to be like, I'm, I'm out of here. Um... <laughs> So in some ways, we, we are discussing God who is beyond the comprehension of the human mind in, term, in human terms. The best that we can do that is by scripture, because without it, we wouldn't know anything about God. Hey, Greg. Yeah. So I know that with this, uh, we kind of talk about God possibly being an author of evil. I know that's kind of an issue with the Arminianistic view um, when you're talking about that. Now, I, I, you're talking about keeping it biblical, right? So in Genesis 50, when Joseph's talking about his brothers, right? And he talks about, uh, Joseph talks about, hey, you, you guys meant this for, for evil, but God meant this for good. I love that verse. Right, okay, so. so give, give us the know, reference, it's 50, Genesis 50, uh, I don't have the, the exact. 5220? 5020. 5020, thank 20. you. So, but he ultimately holds, holds them responsible, because there is a parallel verse where he ends up talking about them being responsible, the, their brothers responsible for the sin that they had, but God ultimately meant it for good. So, you know, it, it, you know there is two sides to that, and, and so I just kind of wanted to bring that up as, as a kind of a touch point on both. So they, they were responsible for their sin, but yet God, you know, ultimately, sovereignly meant that for, that act for good. Yeah. Um, one of my, <clears throat> thank you for bringing that up. And, and um, you, you, so a couple thoughts in, re in reply. First of all, one of the difficulties with a conversation like, like this, especially with so many people in the room, <clears throat> is accurately defining terms in the way that you mean them. 
So when you say God is not the author of evil or, or, or that Arminians have a problem with the idea that God is not the author of evil, I don't think you, – you need to be very careful with that because I don't – I wouldn't say God is the author of evil um, in, 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 in the sense in which um, God is responsible for evil. He is the, he is the party guilty for evil. Um, and even that's a concept – like I do believe that God is – that God uh, – uh, that, that – that evil could not have come into existence without God affirming its existence, but yet he is not the guilty party responsible I for it. I guess my, my question, my thing with that is, is that is, it, it comes down to sovereignty and free will. Um, you know, it, does man have the, the choice, and is God ultimately sovereign over, over that choice? Because if man is acting independently, um, then God can't, you know, can, God can't say, well, you, you can or you can't do this. You know, when it comes to, in that example, Joseph's brothers putting him in that, you know, in the pit uh, and yeah. or, you know, th those types of things happening. Because then how, how can God then um, fulfill prophecy? How can God do these things in time, right? Um, so there, there, there's a lot. I mean, we're, we're talking about a, yeah. you know, a very deep, deep thing here. So um, I, uh, <clears throat> so I, I really love the way that, that Wayne Grudem actually describes this and it, and it works for me is God sovereignly ordains that man freely choose. Right? God sovereignly ordains that man freely choose. Now, to me that seems paradoxical, impossible. God will be good, right? But so does God is one and three. So does Jesus is fully 100% God, 100% man. So there are some paradoxes that are required for us to, to take. And, and here's, why, here's why I like that phrase, because we have to affirm everything that Scripture says. So we can't affirm what Scripture says at the cost of, you know, this piece at the cost of this piece. We have to affirm everything that it says. And so that becomes very challenging sometimes. Yes? Yeah. Yes, I think I think that that's well said. I, I think that what I'm getting at is, um, you know, I think Scripture very clearly teaches in the Gospels that Jesus was fully God, and yet, you know, Hebrews says that uh, he can relate to our suffering because he was tempted like us in every way. So, so that that creates a difficult thing. It's like, how do I if if I go so far as to say that he is fully God but not fully man, then I'm not being true to scripture. I guess I'm just asking, can we agree that both are true scripturally? Instead of trying to figure everything out. I mean, that's I'm wondering what the purpose is today. Is it to figure it all out or is it to agree that scripture says both? Well, okay, so that's a good question. I, I think I'll go back to my purpose statement, which is only to foster in our church community a place where we can talk about these things. Maybe even leave the room at the end of an hour and a half for two hours and, and still say, man, you are a brother or sister in Christ. I love you. Even maybe go so far as to say, I could not disagree with your position on this more than I do, but, uh, but I love you and I'm glad that we share a, a common love for Jesus. Um, one good example of that is Charles Spurgeon, Wesley. Charles Spurgeon, 
Charles Spurgeon detested everything Wesley preached, but loved the man dearly as a brother in Christ. Yeah. Well, Bob, isn't it you who has the story of Spurgeon and Wesley? It's not Spurgeon, I'm sorry. It's not? Oh, okay. It's Whitfield. Yeah, because Spurgeon, Spurgeon was late 1800s and Wesley was early 1700s. Yeah, it was Whitfield and John Wesley. Yeah, Whitfield and Wesley, I'm sorry. I know you, and I, and I apologize. I just said that's why I was making fun of no, Whitfield and Spurgeon. No, your story is Whitfield and Spurgeon, but yes. you read a quote from yes. from Spurgeon regarding regarding. Yes, Spurgeon might have disagreed with all of his. Yeah, okay, so but still said posthumously he didn't agree right. with <laughs> But the, the the story is that uh, uh, Wesley died before Whitfield, and one of Whitfield's uh, disciples came to him and said and said, Mr. Whitfield, do you believe that you will see Mr. Westfield, West, Westfield uh, uh, Wesley? Whitfield being Calvinist, Wesley right. being Arminian, Arminian, like on the far right. extremes. Right. So one, of his, one of his disciples said, do you think, you know, slyly, do you think that you will see Mr. Wesley in heaven? And he said, and he dubbed his head and says, no, I do not. Mr. Wesley will be far too close to the throne of God for me to have that vision. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. Wesley would be one, and Whitfield would be So, Grady, I think one of the main purposes, or also, I want to answer your question. I think one of the main purposes of this meeting is to also eliminate an undertone in the church. That there is a communication going on here, over here, over here. But we want to be open to discussion and see how we should be dealt with in a in a humble manner, in a in a way that we. I can guess the question is, what are we dealing with exactly? You know, is it to teach the scriptures? Is it to get along? Is it to you know? Um. So so that that's a great question. And again, I'll try and go back to the purpose statement. Honestly, when somebody brings something to me. That, um, that reveals deficiency in me, my first reaction is to be hurt, angry, whatever. But after I've had a little bit of time to think about it, I realize here's an opportunity for me to grow, right? So I, I, think, I, I think there's two potential outcomes here. Either this divides our church and ultimately we become one or the other. I mean, I... I <coughs> It's yeah. not going to divide the church. Uh, either, either, that's what we're saying. either it divides the church and, and, and we're forced to become one or the other because some camp decides to leave. Or we figure out a way to talk about these kinds of things um, in a way that is ultimately beneficial for our church. Um, that's where my heart would be. I, I, I really believe that, I mean, like, like I said at the beginning, I think that this has been a good process. Because it's driven people back to the Word of God to say, "What is? What does it say?" Um, again, maybe that's too idealistic. I don't know. Okay, question. Yeah. Quick question. So you're five point Calvinist. Yes. But you don't preach it from the pulpit. Um, a lot of people in that church have no idea because it's not talked about. It's a non-essential. So, uh, um, <laughs> what's that? Another story. Uh, John Piper preached at his uh, church for seven years without mentioning the, uh, the doctrines of grace, is what I like to call them, never having anything to do with that. After seven years, a man came up to him and said, Mr. Piper, I think that you're a Calvinist. 
And Bible said to him, I'm glad that after seven years of preaching the sovereignty of God, you finally figured out that I'm a Calvinist. And so, and then they opened up the scripture and had this type of a discussion within their church. And he had been preaching on the sovereignty of God for so long that the church just said, that they didn't necessarily have to agree with him completely, but they understood where he was coming from and the pastor is now coming from the front and everybody understood it without him ever having to go over the five, point, the five points or anything like that. Yeah, here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to deceive anybody. That's not my goal. Like I said, with my experience in this in college is, um, I landed on a position, but to me it wasn't, I mean, after six years of, of spending time waiting through this, I landed on a position but it was not for me the kind of position that I, I like I wanted to die on that hill. Um, and so I, 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 think, I, I think I mentioned this even to, to the elders. I mean, if, if, if I can't teach scripture the way that I understand it, then I'm not the right pastor for this position. So um, I, 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 wouldn't want, I wouldn't want our elders to restrict what I can and cannot say when I'm teaching the Bible. Um, I want to wade carefully through those types of topics. I, I, I guess I'm of the, man, I don't even know how to explain myself. Um, I think if you were to go back and you were to listen to the messages, you would, you would hear that bent. But I'm not, again, I'm not trying to deceive anybody. I'm not trying to, um, I'm not trying to deceive anybody and I'm, I'm not trying to like hammer it home all the time either. Yeah. And so that was that's kind of very hard for me right now because mm. I don't want my children under a camp. We have a filter of Calvinism. You know, I love you, Grady, but I don't have a filter of Calvinism. I really just I don't personally I love that you love history, I love your quotes, all those things as a side note. But my main meeting, I feel the reason people like me is it may not be camps or not camps. It might also But what I guess what I'm getting at is I hope that you would look at the way that I have led and taught and that you so so I guess I, I'll, I'll I understand why someone might preferably leave and without being under a camp that could just be the Lord allowing them or moving them. Is that possible? I guess that's my only question. It is possible. And and, okay. and I think that ultimately um, I think that ultimately that's Kind of where Glenn landed, but that really broke my heart. And I, I know it did. And the reason it broke my heart is because for five years he had sat under my teaching with no issue, until somebody said, "Grady's a Calvinist," and then it's I'm out of here. We had the same situation from the Baptist Church, and we heard the language and didn't know what we were listening to. Then when we found out what we were listening to. So now we're entering in again from our conversation.
conversations yeah. years ago, are you a Calvinist? Okay, bye. And then we sat down and well I lean and now you're supposed to be five points. So I'm really kind of shaking up. So so here here real let me let me say one other thing. And then I've seen Debbie, she's had her hand up for a long time. Let me say one thing to that. When you explained to me the kind of experience that you had there, I I'm yeah, not yeah. that kind of Calvinist. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not even that. It's not even that. It's some of the things that were said to you. I disagree with no, no, no. wholeheartedly. It wasn't about what was said. My question was, are you a Calvinist? You said, I lean. I said, why do we lean? And then we had that long conversation. Sure. It is not. It was about, I don't want a uh, red filter, blue filter, green filter over this. Okay. Personally, I am not trying to subject anyone to my issues. I have my own issues. So because of that, that's, it wasn't about how they put the filter over me. It was if there was a filter. And the, yeah, and I totally understand that. And, and, uh, and, and I, can, I have a lot of sympathy for that. But let me try and illustrate it this way. You teach women through Hope Women's Center. Yeah. When you teach them, you teach them through Vanessa. There's no way around it. It's just impossible. Every time we read the scriptures, we read it through our filter. But I'm very accountable to a headship and managers, and I'm accountable to every single word that comes through. So I can't camp myself, and I wouldn't camp myself. However, I can say because I have three generations in other areas, like sexual assault, domestic violence, I can become very passionate in those things. That's when I have to step back and say, and maybe why you don't preach Calvinism, is you step back and say, I'm going to be respectful in these areas, and I'm going to temper this. And, and, I, and I would say that if you went back and you scrutinized my teaching for as long as you've been here, even before that, I think that's the kind of teaching you would find. Love and grace, absolutely, but not clarified under where we were exactly at at the beginning. Because for two years, I, we have been listening, we've been studying, we've been love and grace. That's why we're here is for love. We're here because of we love and because we have lots of love and grace both ways. We don't leave because of a camp, but I can understand just going back to Glenn why he felt duped. That's how we felt. Got it. Because it wasn't out at the beginning. Sure. So just to not hinder someone else from being clear at the beginning where we're at, where we stand, so our biases can be clear at the beginning. So um, let, let's let's us talk about this more because it does go back to a conversation from a while ago, and I want to give some other people an opportunity, like I mentioned. Debbie, please. Um, not fully having studied these, and I, I know some of the points. You didn't get to read I all know, 52 I, I pages have, since I have, Wednesday? I haven't read the volume. <laughs> um, but to be in one, my, my question is to be in one camp or the other, is it a salvation um, deal breaker? Not at all. Okay, then. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I think I saw Aaron raise his hand a while ago as well. When, when my wife and I were married, and of course she can't be here today. Speak up a little bit, Aaron. I'm when sorry. My wife and I were married. I wish that she could be here. Um, she's out of West California right now. But I didn't know I was a Calvinist. <laughs> okay, and that was a bit of a challenge on my end. Um, you know, as I've studied the Word, I've become, I've leaned further and further that way. Um, probably not as as some people in this room, but definitely in that direction. Meanwhile, my wife, as she studied the word, has leaned further and further to the Armenian side. It's been very interesting. Um, and 
this is such a great thing to have a have an argument, you know. But I think when you put it in perspective of what what Jesus is doing here in Maricopa and with our marriage in this church, um, it's, it really is a uh, it is a smaller issue, and a lot of people do tend to make it a larger issue than it needs to be. Um, one thing my wife asked. Up, Jerry, and then Monica will come over here next. Um, I was just going to address my sweet friend over there, Vanessa. <laughs> Spiritual woundedness is one of the most difficult things for any Christian to go through. And spiritual woundedness, you preached one day about the diversification of our church. And I got it all wrong. I thought, oh, should I go be talking to the Chinese people and the Muslims? <laughs> people. No, but I think what you were speaking is, is the main thing is the main thing. Because what happens is some of these smaller points, we get wounded, Grady, and that woundedness stays. I came out of the same situation that they did. And yet I was Methodist. I was John Wesley. So you know here's Calvinism. Here's Armenianism, and I'm right smack dab up against it. But you know, it doesn't matter to me. Now, I got something else to ask you, because you also started smart in here. I heard a word today that I haven't heard since I was three years old, and I'm going to break the, the tension a little bit. When I was three years old, I learned to say the ontogeny of the individual recapitulates the phylogeny of the race. <laughs> preach it, sister, preach it! <laughs> What'd she say? <laughs> Translation, do you so? The ontogeny is the 
is it ontogeny or ontology? The ontology. Ontology, okay. okay. I got it wrong. No, that's all right. That's right. <laughs> I got it wrong. No, no, you're fine. No, it's the ontology. Yeah, it's the That's the word that I was, I was using, ontology. Okay. But. You you were a smart three-year-old. Why are you saying I smart people in this room? I just kept Thomas. at me and kept at me. But anyway, I said to you before, Grady, and I have a big mouth, and everybody knows I love everybody in this room. And spiritual woundedness has, is not going to happen. I'm not going to allow it. I'm just not going to allow it. And, and, and the main thing is the main thing. I mean, you go back to my precious, precious John Wesley Church that Satan has just literally destroyed. And they're arguing over two creation stories. They're arguing over whether Joseph impregnated Mary through the Holy Spirit. Crazy. We're not far off base, you guys. We really are. But I do understand. And, and, and this is why I'm, I'm, the conviction of my heart is really, again, the, these three things in this conversation, that we be biblical. And by that, I don't mean that everybody agree with how I understand Scripture. I'm just saying that it is Scripture upon which we are building our views. Okay, We have a biblical worldview. That we be courageous, I think because this is such an explosive topic, a topic that, that either I think typically one of two things happen— Either a church plants the flag firmly in one side or the other, and they don't tolerate anyone outside of that. Or a church decides, we don't talk about these deeper things because they're divisive. I, don't th I just don't think that that's healthy for the church. Um, and then the third one, you know, gentleness. I, I mean, let's, let's have compassion for our brothers and sisters. There is a lot of spiritual woundedness. Um, and so how do we have these conversations and even say... I mean, even go so far as to say, I think that you're, you really don't understand that passage of scripture. But I love you, and so let's let's talk about it some more, you know. Or even say, I don't understand this passage of scripture, so let's talk about it some more, right? In a in a gentle way. Yeah, Debbie. Is, is it is it necessary to plant the flag, or can you put the no. flag in the middle? No, and 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 that's a good point, Monica. I wanted to let you talk, so let me come back to that. Okay. Well, my only. Um
hear my hairspray, I'm not going to tell you about other hairspray. And that, I needed to know that to your story. We needed to have clarification so that we can be discerning and so that we don't feel maybe like Glenn felt that he was duped in. Sure. And then, why didn't someone tell me so that I could just pay attention? Yeah. I think that is all I was trying to say. I'm not saying I'm leaving any of yeah. that stuff. I'm not saying I'm anti. I'm just pro whatever we can get through. Yeah. And, and I think, give me one second there. I think as a parent of children, I, and people are going to be different on this, but I think I, don't, I really don't have any problem with my kids being exposed to other things. The reason is because I think I'm going to do a, a good job asking my children, what did you learn? Why did they say that that's true? What do you think that's true? What are you basing that belief off of? Let's look at what God's word says in relation to that idea. So, and, and this, is, this, is, this is kind of the, the overarching theme that I'm getting at is none of us should be afraid to have this conversation because we, wherever you stand, what you're saying to me is I stand here because I'm convinced that this is what the word of God says. So, man, bring, like, bring it at me. See what I'm saying? If I'm not willing to say that, then, then, then the suspicion is that I'm not standing on the word of God. I'm standing on something else. I'm not saying that directly to you. I'm saying that to everyone in the room. Like, what, what, where, wherever you fall, you're saying, I fall here because I believe this is what God's word teaches. Well, then we shouldn't have any problem, all of us, going back to God's word and saying, is this what it actually teaches? That should be a very beneficial, healthy experience. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's exactly it. I don't think it's camp. You know, I, don't, I, I think we get hung up on camps, right? And I, think, and I, I don't think that's the case. I think we want to look at, you know, the whole thing with Calvin, I mean, with, with Calvin or, or Arminian, you know, just Arminian, I think if we look at just the main thing, and I think the biggest thing that we, you know, um, that one of the biggest dividing lines is is um, atonement, right? I think that's, if you look at a, a limited atonement versus general atonement, right? And, and I think that's maybe one of the biggest ones that divide, right? So if we want to get into scripture, we're going to get into a healthy discussion. And you know, today let's let's look at let's go to the Bible. Let's talk about let's talk about where what supports limited atonement versus you know a general atonement. And let's let's get into the Word and let's talk about it. You know, I think that let let's get into the you know let's let the Bible speak for. That's not in your statement of faith, right? <laughs> so don't talk about it. I mean, I'm a, I, the only thing that's in your statement of faith. I'm sorry for jumping in here, Grady, but the only thing that's in your statement of faith is total depravity. So if you want to talk about anything, talk about total depravity. Okay. But no reason to talk about limited atonement if it's not in your statement of faith, or decide that it's supposed to be in your statement of faith. How about because it's in the Bible? What? How about because yeah. it's in the Bible? Yeah. Well, it's part well, of the okay, Bible. Well, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're talking about being well, a church. But Bob, well, great, great and this is the only place where you have it in the statement of faith. It's the only point that you have in the statement of faith. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think, it's, I think, again, you I just claim you're one of the you have five points, so it is, you, you do uh, have to. But is it irresistible grace or convenient grace? That's, that's the key right there. <laughs> I think that, um, again, I, I want to steer us away from, from getting deep into the weeds of those conversations, not because I'm unwilling, but because we've only got an hour. That's that's when our rental for this room is up, unfortunately. I guess if we want to step out on the grass, we can continue. Yeah, we, we, to we will be sweating to death. So I'm, I'm, I, I, I fully encourage those conversations. I want those conversations to begin to happen because I think that it would be healthy for us to do that. Again, what, what I'm getting at for this conversation is how do we have those conversations yeah. without it turning into something it shouldn't? Yes. If we shouldn't call it 
So, excellent question. That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that actually gets to the crux of the issue. Sure. Did you mean not talk about it at all? No, no, no. No, no in today, this context. In this context. Yeah, communication. Today, in this context, if we're talking about the statement of faith, and that's what the elders have decided upon, then why would you discuss limited atonement when you're trying to keep the church together? Yeah. You only talk about what's in the statement of faith. Right. So, because, because that's what we're saying, so that anybody who agrees with the statement of faith is okay. I just brought that up because I, I was sorry. I yeah, no, 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 but what is your definition of total depravity? Right. So that that's a good that's a good question. And then let me let me let me come back to that because your question was a good one as well. Because that's a loaded. Um, <coughs> yeah. Um, I'll, I'll meld these two questions together. Um, when we planted Maricopa Springs, I was a 25 year old punk kid, and um, rather than rather now than now you're a 32 year old punk kid, <laughs> right? <laughs> Would you believe me if I said I know a little bit more now than I did then? Um, We've grown together, brother. Basically, I was, um, I didn't want to recreate the wheel, so I didn't, I didn't attempt to write my own statement of faith for Maricopa Springs. Uh, there's a, a funny TV show, um, called How I Met Your Mother. I don't recommend it. But, <laughs> but there's, a, there's a line in there that, that, uh, where they've dropped that says, we'll let future Grady deal with that problem. Yeah. So here's future Grady dealing with past Grady's problem. Uh, Mars Hill Church in Seattle, which is now debunked because of leadership failures. Uh, I, I was on their website one day. I saw their statement of faith. I looked at it. I was like, this is actually a really good statement of faith. It is narrow enough to be exclusively Christian, it's broad enough to be non-denominational. Even though Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll is a, a Calvinist himself, I, I didn't get the sense that it was overly exclusive in the way that it presented the essentials of the Christian faith. Okay? And by that I mean, look at something like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Okay? Essentials of the Christian faith. So I wrote them and I asked for permission to use their statement of faith. They gave me permission. They said as long as we give... Uh, reference to Mars Hill. I did that up until Mars Hill imploded and then I took their reference off because I didn't think it mattered anymore. Okay? When we talk about total depravity, uh, it, the sense in which it is stated in our statement of faith, I believe is getting this idea that man does not save himself. Now, I understand that there are nuances to that on a spectrum. But I think in, in, in res this idea, I believe, came out of Pelagianism and Catholicism. Let me try and explain it the way that I understand it. Pelagius was a heretic. The church condemned in what? The third century? Fourth, fourth century? Right? Some, something around there, early on. And he essentially said that um, man, man saves himself. God just sort of puts the finishing touches on the process. Okay? Uh, Augustine wrote in opposition to that. The church kind of landed somewhere in the middle of semi-Pelagianism. I believe semi-Pelagianism produced the Catholicism of the Reformation. Okay? And that Catholicism essentially said, man merits his salvation with some help from God. 
In response to that, the reformers, and let me point out the fact that whether you're Arminian or Calvinist, you're in the reformed tradition because you're not Cal Catholic, okay? The reformers began to write against that saying, uh, biblically, there's not a lot of evidence that man merits his salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ, okay? That's where you get the sola fide, sola, sola gratia, those types of things, okay? So when I adopted that statement of faith, that's where I landed on total depravity. Man does not save himself. Now, I think the Calvinists in the room are going to read that. They're going to see some nuance there, and they're going to take it down the road, that, that road. But what I wanted people to understand is I, I, I don't – if you declare that there is any merit in man by which he brings about his own salvation, then I don't think that you're in the Christian faith. I think you're in something else. Um, so that's the idea that I was getting at. So then you ask the question, why not a five-point – State Calvinist statement of faith because I didn't want to lead a five-point Calvinist statement of faith church. I didn't. Um, obviously, that's created some headaches for me at this point. Uh, <laughs> Can I ask the question? Just yeah. You're thinking through that, and even in our conversations coming to here today, and even what you brought up earlier about hey, I felt deceived or I felt like I didn't know. I, it was it was not revealed to me. The difference between salvation issues, which Somebody back here said, is it a salvation issue? And, and I would say, bar it by large, no. But within both camps, you're going to find people who aren't truly converted um, to the gospel. Amen. But how this is something that's progressing beyond salvation and going, how do we understand God? How do we understand who we are in Christ? How do we understand the church and scripture as a whole? And I think just maybe helping everybody in here think, well, where you, where you were at then and where you're at now to go, okay, if we were to put these things out or say these things, they're more good than they are bad, you know, to keep away from people. That makes um, sense. Or, or why a church might not say we believe in the five points of Arminianism, you know? Yes, even though we believe. Yeah, at least <coughs> If it's the word of God, the reality is everybody's putting things into different ways to articulate them and speak and communicate. So saying, hey, I'm a Calvinist, and Doug and I have talked about this, um, a lot of people don't understand historically who John Calvin was, how that phrase even came into existence. And so automatically, and I don't know Glenn well, but it was my assumption talking with Glenn that he, I think he did a, a knee-jerk reaction to something he really didn't understand or know. And I think this platform is going to put us all in a position to say, hey, before you do that, we need to understand what we're actually talking about, how we get to these things, why we use these, these terms. Yeah. And me personally, I've used the term Calvinist a lot in my past. At times I've said, hey, I want to steer away from that term. I think it's the context of who I'm with and explaining to people what I mean by what I say. What I'm not saying is I follow John Calvin exclusively and I'm a disciple of John Calvin and not Jesus. And John Calvin would say the same thing, and I don't know if you guys know this, but historically, he didn't write the five points of Calvinism. He was dead and in glory, worshiping Christ. And so, long history. Yeah. So we just, I think, need to be careful, and for all of us, I would say, and, 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 Actually, follow up on that. Where did the five points come from? So the five points came out of a long, I think it was 20-year period, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, basically a, a council of what does the scriptures actually teach on some of these points? And I believe there was five points of Arminianism right. presented first, and then some men spent a lot of time searching the Bible 
saying we just don't think these are right. And they responded with the five points of Calvinism after Calvin had already died, clinging to what they would say is, is scripture alone. And, and I think that's why this is actually a very, uh, to actually go against what Aaron is saying, I think this is a vital topic, not because I think that somebody is not saved because they don't understand or see what I'm seeing in scripture, or that in 10 years I'm going to come to a place, which I know I will, of God showing me more and being humbled more at what I thought I knew or what I didn't know and what I'm going to see in 10 years. But it's vital because as a church, God has instituted pastors in the local church to actually guard the sheep and to build us up and to make us fruitful for ministry in Christ. And there can be dangers if we approach God and we say, hey, we just want to kind of pick and choose what we want. And I think that's what Grady's saying. And even as Grady and I have talked, I mean, I would say the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, the last point of five points of Calvinism, I think there's some texts on the other side that are hard to look at at face value. And if I just simply say I don't want to talk about them like Grady said, it's, it's doing a disservice to my own salvation, my, the rock on which I'm standing, and building up and making more disciples you know, for the glory of Christ. So as a church, we must search and, and desire to be rooted in the word of God. And if at the end of the day we want to use terms and things just to help us explain historically where we're at, I'm good with that and I think it's beneficial. And if we don't, I think what happens is you get people who are naive and, and they don't understand things and they're, they're actually in danger of not being mature in the faith, not being able to stand guard against heresy. So if somebody does come in and start saying, well, you know, I, I think, you know, Jesus was Satan's brother. And if we're just like, well, you know, we don't want to, it, it's all inclusive. It's not just here's the, the strict heresy and here's some in-house issues. So I think it is important. It is vital because it also affects how we see God and how we see our identity in Christ and how we understand the gospel. Um, anyway, I can keep talking about a lot of one, stuff. One, of, answers, one of the tenets <laughs> of... So, here, so here's another aspect of this. One of the tenets of the Reformation was the priesthood of all believers. So prior to that, if you wanted to know what the Bible said about anything, you had to go to your priest who was the authority who could tell you what it meant. Now, I think God has raised up teachers and leaders in the church. Scripture is clear on that. But he's also given all of us the word of God. And so this is one of the things that I want to press us towards is I, I am not concerned on, on these uh, okay on the on the on the point of our statement of faith I am absolutely concerned about absolute conformity okay not 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 immediately but you know if somebody's going to hang around Maricopa Springs in time they're going to abandon the belief that Jesus is Satan's brother right like they're going to come into conformity that he is the unique one and only son of God, 100% man, 100% God, okay? On some of the other things, I, again, there's no way for me to not teach the Bible the way that I see it. So I don't want to be dishonest in that regard. But at the same time, I, I don't want to be domineering in the way that I teach scripture. I, I want you to be empowered. In other words, when you stand before God, He's not going to say, what did Grady say about the Bible? <laughs> He's going to say, what do you know? You know, it, it, it's not, your position is not going to be based ultimately upon me. It's going to be based upon your own standing in his word. And so I want to press people to that, uh, to be a, a, a priesthood in the sense that you have the word of God living and active in your heart 
not only through Grady the mediator. Yes, John. <coughs> so since our statement of faith, so total depravity, does anybody in this room have an issue with total depravity? That'd be the big question. That would be the like just hit it nail on the hit the head on the nail and let's just get it out there. That, that is in the statement bold, of faith. Yeah. That's what he said to me earlier. Who has an issue with total depravity if anybody does, then let's talk about it. <coughs> just just to mention like just what your definition of total depravity is. I would imagine that actually the issue is not going to be the way that I stated it, but the way that I didn't state it. <laughs> so, so does anybody have the problem with the word, the way it's written in our statement of faith? Do you want to read? Do you have it with you? I would disagree with that. I disagree with total depravity. In the way that I stated it? That man does not save himself? No, I, no, I do. I agree with that. And I, but I do believe that men have free choice. Gotcha. And I do believe that because God's own word says that his will is that none should perish without him. In Matthew 25, it says he created hell only for the demons and those, uh, the devil and his angels, which means he did not predestine men to go there. That was not his, that was not his choice. He did not create hell for men at all. Not that they can't go there. I, I agree that they can go there. And also, he predestined the sun to shine every day. But Joshua, a mere man, spoke words, and the sun stood still. So God will answer our prayers. If things are predestined, I believe he can change things. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot there. Sorry about yeah, I'm, I'm thinking through that. I, so, so go back to the second <coughs> Peter 3, 9 verse, talking about you know, that his will that none shall perish. Yeah. So in that context, we if, we, all go we are going to solve this what, verse what? right now. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, this is this is such a challenging verse. Second Peter because three, four. because if we say that God is all powerful, let, let's look at it real quick. I was actually hoping we'd get through the two hours without looking at any of these verses. <laughs> What verse is it? 2 <coughs> Peter 3, 3, 9. 3, 9. Well, do we have to start earlier to see the context? <coughs> well, let's look at the verse real quick, okay? I agree with you. Please. Come, you need, you need, <laughs> we have to do this. Um, a, 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 a verse without, what, what was, what's the line? A verse without a context is a, pre, is a recipe for a pretext or something like that. I, I've got this great picture that one of my professors put up in class, and it's a slice of pizza. Have you seen this? I love it. It says context is important. It's a slice of pizza on a plate and a slice of pizza on a sewer lid that looks like a plate, <laughs> right? Well, context is important. <laughs> Which one are you going to eat, original. right? Then it's going to mean a whole different thing that you're about to explain to me right now. What do you mean? <laughs> well, the original. The original. Yeah. The, uh, the Hebrew. Okay. The Greek. No, 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 no. What does it mean? No, no, no. The context meaning just like it's so, so. Like there's a context. Why did he no, say what he said? No, no word has meaning in and of itself. It, it only has meaning, I mean, it has meaning as it's connected to other things in language. Right, well, I think who Peter was talking to, right. the audience was, yeah. Um, yeah. all that matters. All that matters. Yeah. So, but, but let's look at, so some of the, when I, when, I, when I encounter a difficult verse, I like to first start by thinking about what I'm positive that I know that it cannot possibly mean. Okay? Can I Yeah. Can we go back? 
Well, this is what I, I said at the beginning. Unfortunately, we just we don't we don't have time for complete exegesis. We just don't. Um, how far back are you wanting to go? You want to make it even more difficult because this is talking about the the the. the I agree. I'm not trying to avoid talking about it. Um, I, I would imagine that this is going to lead to lots of ongoing conversations about this. Sure, I will read it. Let me, um, I'll go ahead and read through verse 13. This is now the second letter, letter that I'm writing to you. Okay, you want to talk about context? We should go back to the first letter. Shouldn't we? Right? Which verse are you starting with? So, chapter 3, verse 1. You have, you have lights to go outside. <laughs> right? And some fans. Okay, so this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Man, that's why it is important for us to talk about these things so that we can guard the church from those people, right? They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Man, let me read that verse again, right? Mm -hmm. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new, he for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I don't think there's much to say about that. I'm kidding. <laughs> Listen, verse 9, uh, okay, I mean, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. One of the challenging things with this verse is that um, not everybody reaches repentance. So that would appear to be a contradiction because if God is all-powerful, which we affirm he is as believers, then what would keep him from doing what he wishes? So what I'm getting at here is that... Um, God, 
I mean, if I might say real quick, just yeah. from what I think historically, John Calvin's commentary on this passage actually speaks about this meaning God literally desires that all people would repent. Yeah. And so the, the reality that... Isn't that interesting? That, say that again. John Calvin's yes, commentary. Yes, so John Calvin believed that because God has a, a revealed will that is active and is actually producing everything that he accomplishes. Um, and then he has a hidden will in which, you know, there's things about God that he does, like, God is, is, as he says, his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways not our ways. That doesn't mean we can't know him or see him as he's revealed himself, but the element that God can at one sense say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you are not willing. And that's true, and man is not willing to come to God. And at the same time, that Jesus would say, Father, I'm thankful that you've hidden these things from the wise and reveal them to little children, for such was your will. So God is the determiner of who comes to him, but man must come to him. And so I've always told people, some people may have played this game, it's called spades, it's a card game. And in spades, you have the ace of spades, which is the trump card. So when you're playing, if somebody were to lay down a king of hearts, which is a high card, and I had the queen of spades, or a higher card, I could lay it on top and I would trump or I would beat that card. God's sovereign prerogative will is the ace of spades. All, everything else fits underneath, and it is at work, and it is playing, but God is the author of everything, the perfecter of everything. He created all things. Without him, nothing was created and existed as its being. So I'm totally good, and I think this is a hit against Calvinism, that people often just don't understand it when they say, well, why should we evangelize if God is sovereign? Why should we pray if God is sovereign? It's because that is by the means by which God actually carries about his will. He is not just from heaven sending lightning bolts down and doing what he wants, although he has acted in ways that are very miraculous like that throughout history. Uh, but the means by which he accomplishes his will is to use us for his glory. And so we are part of it, but in a very mysterious way, I think all of us would say Man, it is only the grace of God, it is only the will of God that we live, have our breath, and do anything. <coughs> so, for what I, it is, Calvin, that's what he taught. I, I, I want to I bring these verses in, and then I'll give you, a, I'll give you an opportunity there. Because um, two verses in Psalms, Psalms 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Mm-hmm. Psalm 135, verse 6, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth in the seas and all things. So, again, how do you reconcile God desires all people to come to himself and he does whatever he, he wants? He does he, as he pleases, and he pleases to give man choice. Yes, he, does. he gives, he, he gives man choices, mm-hmm. and he has authority to do that. And, and again, I, I, I don't, I, I agree with that. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, but then there are other passages that say, um, you know, they, they, they um, for example, um, they perish because they were destined to perish. Um, what is? I can't think of the reference. I can look yes. it up. And, in other words, all I'm saying is I don't think that these issues are all that easy. Okay, I, I think these are the kinds of things that we have to look very closely at because I hear, I know that the Bible cannot contradict itself. God is not in conflict with Himself, right? He's not like me where I may desire to do one thing but I don't do it. That's not how God works. And yet we see some things in scripture that are very challenging in this regard, like God, 
or, or Ezekiel 33, 11. Turn yeah. back, turn back, O Israel, for I have no desire that the wicked would perish. So, yeah, so, so the question is great. Could I, oh, go ahead. I, I want to come to Rick because he's yeah. been waiting. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, yeah. One of the things about the free will that we, we have to understand, I think if we go back, we would all agree on that we have a sin nature. And just to put like a word picture to it, um, uh, I like this story. Like a, a lion has a free will to hunt the rabbit or stop and eat the grass. And within his nature, he's always going to choose the rabbit. So he has a free will in a sense, but it's confined to his nature. And we have a fallen nature, and so we're confined. Even though we have free will, we're confined to do the things that are within the nature that God has told us that we but are. But that's not under. a salvation issue. No, that's I know, just but a it, it defines total depravity in the sense that we can only, we, although we have free will, we're only able to choose the things that are in our nature. Some, sometimes I think that purpose, God's purposes, he uses people for purposes, gets mixed up with salvation. So you don't think that God predetermined people ahead of time. That'd be like saying that anybody with blonde hair and blue eyes is going to be saved and everybody else has no chance. Sorry you got brown hair, but that's the way I picked it out. Sorry about that, buddy. See ya. Eternal damnation or not. Choose which ones are going to go and which ones aren't. Right. Say that again. Like you have four children, <coughs> so do I. So choose which ones are going to go to hell and which ones are going to go to heaven. As a father, you wouldn't do that. I, and you see what I, I mean? If you're yeah. saying that people are predestined, Trevor, you have children. Which one? Yeah. And, and you know well, I mean? listen. Really? I mean, I'm just, I'm no, not no, no. arguing. I'm no, no, no. And I understand that. And I, I, I agree with personal. that. I agree with that. But, it, but then again, we have to look at this. And whatever the Lord pleases, He does. Well, hold, can I ask this question? Because I have a good friend, and he's a, a five-point Arminianist, uh, John Wesley. I'm with you. Well, for what it is, <laughs> but for what it is, um, but when you actually talk about the sovereignty of God, you would have to concede. Did God predetermine before the foundations of the world that Judas Iscariot would betray Him and be condemned to hell? He knew. The type of person that he was, and picked him for his purposes. That's not what it says. He picked him for his purposes. No, but even if you take that, he picked him. He just he disagreed with you. Yeah, but so then Pharaoh, we could go we could go down the line right right now. I'm studying Daniel for class, and just even looking at Nebuchadnezzar, he was the Babylonian king. He was the greatest powerhouse in the entire world, and he could not resist the will of God. And in chapter four, after God had made him like act like a beast for seven years, Mm -hmm. he came to the conclusion. That God does what he wills from the heavens. And nobody can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And the conclusion is that I have four kids and I love them. Mm -hmm. But as humbling as it is to continue to be pressed down below the word of God and believe that I weep and pray for sinners, I love sinners, I want my kids to come to faith. But I know this, that nobody can come to the Father, Jesus said, unless, unless unless the Father who sent Jesus draws them to himself. And the reality is, That's I look at... That's different than being Well, here's what I was just saying. If we were to take time, and, and this one I think would be great, but if we were to do exegesis, because exegesis is the only way to actually obey the scriptures, and exegesis means to, to bring out from the word what it actually is saying. As opposed to exegesis. Well, what I'm saying is right now, we're, yeah, exegesis, which is putting into the text what we want. Just some of the statements you're saying... I've talked to so many people in the past who would say, how could God do that? Or why would God do that? Or even that statement, God has chosen some and not others. 
And to portray it like you have would just lead me to conclude I don't think you've actually studied the passages rightly. There's no accountability in that, Trevor. No what? accountability in what that. Wait, you say that, what do you mean? If you ahead of time, man has no accountability to the choices. But that just is well, a, that's that's a, a, that's a characteristic. Time, and and Paul went over that in chapter 9 of Romans. So, so, why did he say the things he said in 9? Let me... Let me interrupt for a second because I, I, I feel the tension rising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're just Which, thinking about Jesus. I know, it's a good thing. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Again, I want you to understand. We, we, we are actually teammates in this room. Again, I really do want you to understand that. And I, I, think, I think the things that everybody is arguing for are noble things. And, and that doesn't mean that I, I, I don't think that there are certain things that are more important than other things. All I'm getting at is these are good conversations and we need to have them. And we need to be pressed to study and to go deeper. Um, and, and so I, I, I'm, just, I'm just bringing a breather in. I'm not saying that we shouldn't keep talking. Let's keep talking. Um, so yes? This is on a different topic. Okay, this is just a question directed to you or the church, your ch the ch our church. Yeah. Do you believe that the church replaces Israel in the Bible. I'd like to know that, if you personally believe that. Um, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle there. I, You're not sure? Like no, 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 no. I, 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 I don't... Yeah. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> No, no, you I are opening a whole other can of worms. I'm trying to change the subject. I'm trying to change the subject. He mentioned that we would have been able to do Revelation. We need another book. Yeah, we need another book. I don't know about you guys, but even though there is tension here, I actually enjoy this because I think it is beneficial. Just to answer your question directly, do I think that the church replaces Israel. Um, it's grafted into the word. Don't help. No, don't I think this is the best way that I can say it. I think that I can. I think this is the best way that I can say it. I think the church is something categorically different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, that's all I'm asking. That's my question. Hebrews, I would agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, Eric. Using my own. Own personal example. I had to make the choice. God came to me, but I made that choice two years ago. Yes, and I think to take that step. I made that choice. I believe you, and I agree with you. And I think if you look biblically, I think that is the call: repent. And I believe that anything on the doctrines of grace would agree with that. Mm -hmm. There's nothing different in the doctrines of grace that would disagree with that. Mm -hmm. Debbie. Well, this may be more of a rhetorical question, but with regard to election and evangelism, um, some, some are elected to be saved. Does that necessarily mean that some are elected to be damned? Mm. Or does that necessarily mean some are elected to be saved and some for sure? Yeah, that's a tough <laughs> one, too, because human logic would, would infer one from the other. But it's not true. No? Not scripturally true. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying is human logic wants to infer one from the other, but I'm not sure that anybody can point to a passage so that's... You can't, you can't, nobody, we can't say in here definitely on one side or the other. Can anybody think of a passage in scripture that would cause us to go, to, that would cause us to say that... Um, some are chosen and some are... 
It doesn't work that way. I would say Romans 9. Yeah, Romans, no, no, no. Romans, Romans chapter 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So everyone is condemned. Right. So it's not a matter of whether or not someone is chosen for condemnation. Everybody is chosen for condemnation. And then some are saved. That's a different than saying that I created them for condemnation. Completely different. For many are called, but few are chosen. God clearly does choose, but man must also accept God's invitation. And, that, and that's what I'm getting at, where I think we do have to affirm everything that Scripture says. And I, I don't think that you can get away with that, or get away from that kind of idea. Mike, I, I'm going to put you on the spot because I saw you sort of smile when I said, can anybody I'm think smiling. of a verse? And you know what I find interesting about that passage? Because again, I, I have a perspective on what that passage means, and I would encourage you to wrestle with that passage. But what I find interesting is that Paul couches that in a question. I, I think that that's very interesting. Paul, Paul couches sort of the, 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 the heavy-hitting moment of Romans 9 in a question. What if God has created some vessels for glory and some for wrath? Doesn't he anticipate... I know. Yeah, I agree. He anticipates the, the obvious reaction to that kind of bad feeling that gives us, and then he answers it. Who are you to say to, to God what, what he does yeah, and I think and, that, and it puts us in check. Exactly. What I'm getting at, what I'm getting at is, when you read that question, if you say, "No, God could not do that," that's that's a very interesting reaction to that question, because Paul's response is, "Who are you to say back to God what He can and cannot do?" So I think how we respond to that is telling. What? He's addressing Israel. And, and, and I and, and, and I hear that argument and and I don't I, I I find it acceptable. I don't agree, but I find it acceptable. It goes Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's talking about faith. You gotta live by faith, not by the law, not by flesh. Doesn't get you into heaven. Gotta when, live by faith. And he's, he's making that point over and over and over again. Yeah. And I, again, I agree with that. Let me let me throw this thought in here, and I'm finding myself defending Calvinism when I didn't intend to defend Calvinism, truly, because I don't feel the need to do that, okay? I, I'm not trying to persuade anybody. Um, but um, but, I, but I would say to that, Mark, if so if you say he is doing this to Israel, um, he's addressing Israel, the problem with that is, and I was trying to talk with John about this yesterday. I, I was playing the devil ad. Yeah, no, no, no. We, we were discussing, we were discussing this. Um, if God does it, what, what, I, what I sometimes hear people say is God has given man free will. Okay, let's assume that for the sake of the conversation. And, and God must therefore abide by this decision that he has made. Okay, if he has done that, then for him to, uh, to, to behave this way towards Israel, 
is therefore inconsistent in his character. In other words, you can say, he can do that to Israel, but not everybody else. But as soon as you say that, then you've got a, a bifurcated God who behaves one way and one time. Because those he loves, those were his chosen nation, to portray him. So he had rules mm -hmm. set apart for them. So yes, I would have to say I don't agree with what you just State said. State that again. Say that again. I want to make sure that I heard what you were saying. Israel was his chosen people. He disciplines those he loves. So they had been set apart. So their rules were different. So they, he absolutely did discipline them. He absolutely did check their haughtiness. He was telling them, you believe in, the, in well, all of Romans. It's by faith. Just because you're Israel doesn't put you in. Yeah, amen. So that doesn't count. And again, I want to point out the fact that I, I would say everyone in this room agrees with that. Statement. Yeah, totally. That it is by faith. Um, Didn't God use Nebuchadnezzar to, oh. you know, to discipline Israel? Yeah. And, and I, let me say, Vanessa, too, I, I really have to think about what you said. I, I have not considered that point, and I will have to think about that. Yeah. So, I mean, all this is actually about faith. Is, does faith perceive a regenerate heart? Or does a regenerate heart perceive faith? So this, this whole discussion is exactly about something that happens at the speed of turning on a light switch. You turn that switch on, right when that light comes on, you're regenerate. So the question is, in the way that God works, a, a, a great almighty God, this is why I so, I'm okay with not exactly understanding everything. But Amen. But the deal is, is we're actually talking about something that's pivotal here. Does faith receive regeneration or does regeneration receive faith? Can you come to faith without a heart of stone turned to flesh? So that is the, that, hold on, yeah, that is the pivotal question here. And so a God that works out of my time, space, I mean, my knowledge, it's, it's, that's the question here that's at hand in this conversation. Yeah. So I'm going to be humble enough to say I'm going to consider my dad is not a Calvinist. I'm I'm not even a Calvinist to a five-point degree. I don't know. I'm not. I'm a Jesusist, but I will say, as I read scripture, I will say a Calvinist view does help me read a lot of questions. It does help bring light to a lot of scripture for me. So I'm not going to say man, one way is it and the other way is not it totally. Because there are things about Calvin that I have a question that is like, man, you talk about, yeah, the causality of evil. I, I don't know. You didn't figure that out yet? Yeah, so <laughs> nobody knows. I mean, I, I mean in, to this day, and, and and is, is, God, is God a jealous God? Yeah, he's a righteous, jealous God. He has a jealous righteousness. Why would he be jealous if, you know, he arrests people for a specific purpose, plans, blah, blah, blah. There's things in his character, like, but I actually celebrate in this, you know, because he is a, just the almighty being of, of everything. So, but it makes me dig scripture, and that's where I lie, if anybody wonders. And, and I, th I think you're drawn out of that, at least, it, if I can be so bold as to say, I think you're drawing out of that two really important conclusions. And, and that is, God is big, yeah. and man is not. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I don't think that anybody in this room would, would disagree with that. Um, 
and 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 one of the I remember one of my teachers at the seminary at one point saying, and don't 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 infer anything about any conversation in this room regarding this quote. Okay, understand me in that that typically when you look at heresies that have crept into the church, they've done one of two things: elevated man or brought Christ low. And so I think in, in our approach to God's word, we need to be humble and low, and we need to lift up Christ, right? Like, like John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And so, again, wherever, wherever you kind of land on this, I think that that's an important principle for how you move forward is we need to lift high Christ, and we need to bring ourselves Amen. low before the Lord. Um, Debbie, you, you had your hand up. Well, I was just... Uh when we are when we are called and we are you know talking about um, which comes first uh, yeah when we are called we are changed and our response when we are changed is going to be different than our response before we were called yes so i don't know exactly what that so, means so so you're saying you're saying regeneration <laughs> needs to take place before faith well not necessarily i mean maybe so, you're called maybe, i mean i'm saying i don't know yeah. If you are, when you are called, yeah. you are you are changed. Yeah. When you are truly called, and you hear the call, you are changed. Yeah. I so. I um I think kind of the way that I understand this is is if you look at most people in the way that they live their life, if they got a picture of Jesus, they would think he was ugly. I mean, I, I think so. Like it, it, when 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 we begin to talk to people about the Christian faith then you have to lay aside your sexual immorality, your love of alcohol, your greed, your your own ambitions for something better. That's revealing Christ to people, and most people, when they see that, they think he's ugly. I, I believe until God shows them the beauty of Jesus, they're not going to go chasing after that. But once they see the beauty of Jesus, it's going to be hard to chase after anything else. Yeah? It reminds me of Revelation 3.20. Sure. And, and so, and so let, me, let, me, let me maybe bring some of this together because I don't think there's anybody, correct me if I'm wrong, okay? Be bold and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that there's anybody in this room who would not give to a lost sinner, non-Christian, a free offer of the gospel. In other words, I don't think there's anybody in this room who wouldn't, what I mean by that is, what I mean by that is, what I mean by that is, if, if you were in the conversation, you would say, brother, you are lost, you're dead in your sins, and unless you turn and repent and come to Jesus, you'll be forever lost. And, and Something even, along those lines. And I would even say, as a, as a Calvinist, that I just read an art, article called, uh, about a topic called hyper-Calvinism, mm -hmm. and there is a subset of Calvinists who would believe that because God wills and is sovereign over all things, we shouldn't tell people about Jesus. Yeah. Probably shouldn't pray. That's extreme. That's, 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 like, that's wrong. That's, that's, that's not right. Wrong. So I would fight that person, and yeah. any biblical Calvinist would do the same. Um, so the fact that when I preach Jesus to sinners, if this whole room, I didn't know who you guys were, and they said, we want you to come in and preach the gospel, I'm going to herald Jesus to all of you, calling you to faith and repentance in Christ, knowing from the scriptures that either God has chosen to save all and you will come, or he's chosen some, and some will come and some won't, or nobody's coming. But I know when I go in to preach the gospel, there is the power of God for salvation. And when I preach it, I will tell people, Christ died for you. And I don't say that meaning that he individually actually shed his blood for your sins. 
But I say that in the way John 3, 16 says that, that God loved the world, meaning that the distorted, fallen world, in such a way that he gave his unique son that the believing ones will not perish but have eternal life. And so when we preach Christ, I don't know who's elected. And even as an Arminian or whatever you want to call yourself, you have to deal with the fact that the Bible uses the word elect and predestined. I'm just, I'm just saying, he did elect and predestined. So you have to deal with that regardless of how you want to try to interpret that. But we believe with the free offer of the gospel that we preach Christ to everybody. And let me just say this, because Whitfield and Wesley, you brought it up earlier, and you brought up that you were a Methodist. George Whitfield, does, any, does, do, does anybody know who he, he is and has historically ever heard of George Whitfield? No. Preacher. What about John Wesley? Okay, everybody knows John Wesley. George Whitfield and John Wesley were best friends in college. They were both dead in their sins, and they were trying to earn their way to God. George Whitfield ends up getting converted, and later John Wesley comes to America. He's with his brother. He's sailing back across the ocean, and he meets this group of people called the Morvarians. And this group of people, the ship was going to sink, or the storms were coming, and they were unwavered in their faith in Christ, and they were singing hymns on the boat. And John Wesley couldn't believe how at peace they were because he was trying to earn his salvation. It was through that experience and then his brother coming home, Charles Wesley, who wrote a bunch of things that we probably know about, that the Holy Spirit saved him, literally brought him from death to life. And it was through that reality that John Wesley realized that I can't earn my way to God, and God has to do a work in me. As that continued on, George Wesley and uh, I'm sorry, John Wesley and George Whitfield, they were both horsemen preachers who would travel out and preach to thousands of people. George Whitfield, though, really built up the Methodist movement. They called themselves Methodists because of the methods. Not Whitfield. No, I'm sorry. George. No, no. George Whitfield built up the Methodist movement really? along with John Wesley. But George Whitfield was the dominant figure within England who was raising up these groups that they would call Methodists, method groups. And it was John Wesley who then went to America, became famous, and the church itself, the Methodist church, was birthed out of that. But nobody knows about George Whitfield and how he was actually a massive evangelist who preached to thousands and thousands and thousands of people who, who if you listen to his sermons, would go, there's no way that this guy – you know, even though he believes God has to elect and call people to Christ, he preaches as if you need to come to Jesus Christ. Okay, here's a question, yes. Trevor, then, to the basic of what you're saying, yeah. all that, do you believe it's conditional or relational? Or where we're at in Christ? Do you believe it's a relationship with Christ that we're seeking, or do you believe it's our condition as the elect, right? I think that's what we're, I think that's what we're talking about. It's how God moves on. I'm not sure what, actually, I'm really not sure what you mean totally by that. Can you define the terms a little bit more? Just your condition means there's nothing you can do in yourself. Relational is because God has given us permission, I guess what we're talking about is, is free will, to accept or to reject. Because if you believe you can't accept or you can accept, the Bible talks about rejecting. Yeah, Christ. So I'm, I'm using the term rejection mm -hmm. as we have a choice to accept the atonement, the propitiation for us. Not that it's, because with his rejuvenation was the foreknowledge. So God sees all at once from a day is this to him to that. So I'm just asking to define kind of where we're talking about, because we're talking about you used ontology and the other one. I'm talking condition and relationship because that's kind of where I'm seeing a little bit of a, 
confusion. Yeah, I think the reason why the reason why I went to ontology is because I, I cannot I cannot conceptualize God not knowing something. And it doesn't why would free will say he doesn't know? He okay. sees it all at once. But but the, but the difficulty is not only in order for God to know something, God has to determine it. Because nothing exists apart from his determination. Why? What's foreknowledge? That's 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 the creation story. There was nothing and then God right. spoke. So, literally, that piece allow? of that little piece of grass out there is there because he put it there. Absolutely, but does he give it the opportunity to blow this way or that way, or does he robotically call it this way or that way? Well, it's not. I guess that's what I'm saying: condition or relationship. Well, um, it's not. It's not robotic, um, and so I guess I would say both. I wouldn't say one or the other, but you know, you go to um, what is it, Colossians, right? I mean, where it talks about the way that Jesus is interacting with the world. Colossians 1, right? Um, man, I, I, I guess what I'm getting at, for me, to be honest, again, I, I fall on, on, on the Calvinist side of the spectrum, but these things are so intertwined, I don't see them as separable. And, and, and for, for example, Colossians chapter 1, just look at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all the saints, there's not a parenthesis that is faith in faith in Jesus Christ that God gave you. Close parentheses, um, and the love that you have for all the saints. Open parentheses, which you would not have. You you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not being clear. Um, <laughs> In other words, there is a mysterious bringing together of these things. Yes, go ahead. Save me from my mouth. No, well, just, just in, in my experience, I've only been saved for 12 years, and it was about two and a half years into my faith that I was in a church um, in North Scottsdale, a couple thousand people. They taught the Bible, but not really taught the Bible, um, if you've ever been in that type of church. And... It wasn't until about two and a half years of my faith, I went to San Diego, and I went to this church, and I heard this guy for the first time teach the Bible expositionally, which means he taught from the text, and he actually, historically, everything he talked about, the background, the people, and it was like I was in John chapter 2, and I was sitting in the front row with my you know, jaw to my feet, just enamored, and I know he was talking about the five points of Calvinism, not because he mentioned the five points, but because now I know that's what he believes, but what I heard for the first time was exhaustive teaching. And through that weekend, some guys challenged me with, hey, do you think you chose Jesus or did Jesus chose, choose you? And I remember thinking, well, I, I definitely chose Jesus. Like, and even like this gentleman saying here, the reality is we do choose Christ. But then he challenged me some more and I went home. And it wasn't until I was reading Ephesians chapter 1 and God used some circumstances that it really became clear to me that even though I came to Christ, it wasn't because of my free will I came to Christ, but it was because of the grace of God. And I think just to answer you, if, if we were to take time, and I'm not a pastor in this church, but, but I love the word of God, and I think it is vital, and I think God's word is clear, and that we can understand it, even though he is beyond us, um, is that if we just started notching at each one of these topics, like, hey, okay, explain to me, how, how does God's sovereignty work in general? Because you have salvation, which is one aspect of it, but then you have, like, Acts 17, when, when Paul's preaching in Athens, and he says, God determined men to be in certain areas and places 
so that they might grope or search for Christ, the idea of being blind and, and groping along a wall, and that they might find him. And so you have a passage like that that somebody might go, well, ha-ha, you know, how can you be a Calvinist and believe that? When I would go, let me have some time to do some exegesis for you and explain and teach and equip and, and listen to what that text says and how that fits in the greater theme of Scripture and how God chose Pharaoh for a purpose and how God chose so let me so let me ask you a question on that, okay? Because I agree. I think that's what we should all do. Do you expect then that after going through that process, that every believer will come to the same conclusion? I expect that if, including myself, if we stay low and humble, that we will stand on a position that says God's word is objective, and we can know what it says, and we can we can actually rightly interpret it and obey it. So I would say. As far as how I understand Scripture, yes, I'm convinced. So then, so again, that if we study Scripture together, that we will come to the same conclusion. So then, what? what and obey it. So then, what would you do with Whitfield and Wesley? So I think I think what it comes down to is sometimes people aren't either willing to, to have those conversations or whatever. I think with George Whitfield and Wesley in particular, I think they tried to engage some, but they were off and they kind of just split early and said, "Hey, we just disagree on these things. We're going to go off and do our ministry." But I think a testimony is even Doug and I, over the last couple of months, just willing to say, brothers, let's, brother, let's come together and, and humble ourselves before the Lord, even you and me, that here we are in this room, and if we're actually people who will do that and not come to the table going, okay, if it's not what I think it's going to be, I, I won't believe it. And I'm saying that for myself. If, if Mark, if you, can, if you can persuade me that Romans 9 is in fact saying that you can say it through exegesis, meaning I will come here and listen to you for an hour, two hours, teach the whole book of Romans, and if you can convince me by scripture, I will repent if I'm, if I'm believing wrong. And I would just say in the same light, I'm confident in the word of God that if you let me come to the table and listen to what I'm saying and to be persuaded by scripture, the same thing would, would be to you. And so that's the heart of the Christian is that we would repent and obey the word of God um, and I can keep going, but... Well, and that, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm getting at by being biblical is we, we, like... If, if you can persuade me from Scripture yeah. to change my position, would I be willing to change my position? And the question that somebody else made is, would you respectful? Mm -hmm. so if Mark says yes to Trevor, that I can say no my, to one of my children not receiving the book. I'm just asking for that respect both ways, that we can have the freedoms, all of us, that I won't go to Trevor with every grievance I have if he says that's enough, that we can allow love and through instead of we have to chop this up or you set it aside yeah. so that it's appropriate and you have that respect and that love mm -hmm. together. So what well here here oh uh, man so many yeah. hands I, and, and we're out of time. Jeez. Wow. Okay. I, I'm gonna let you guys go ahead and have the last word but you gotta keep it brief. Dean De uh, Dean and then I'll come to I'll come I'll come to you one sec, sorry. I'd like to draw our attention to first Corinthians three and four. It says for a while one saith I am a Calvinist, and the other says I am an Armenian. Are you not carnal? What's what's the passage again? You heard it. First Corinthians three. Like I don't know that I don't know that version, so say it one more time. I think the punchline is the question. Are you not a carnal? I think we had the conversation about a week ago or so. I said, the problem with these two doctrines is they're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> At some level, some we can't get our
our head around the doctrine, but we can get our heart around Christ. And, and, and I think there is profundity in that. To say, <clears throat> again, the humility to say, is, is it possible that some of the things in how I understand the word are wrong? And, and by continuing to search the scriptures, by continuing to rub shoulders up with people who will challenge me, I, I'm open to growing in that. Katie. says he says we seek to persuade men and so he didn't mean we seek in our own ability carnality to persuade people he meant we want to take god's word which is supernatural and and absolutely i agree with that it's not mark how crafty are you it's mark just explain to me the scriptures and because the holy spirit is alive and, and his people supernaturally he will reveal to us what is true and, and god has given teachers i mean I'm, I'm in seminary right now and, and i'm reading a book and it's just been fascinating or, or humbling to me just how God has instituted certain people in the body of spiritual gifts to actually teach and edify the church. And even though all members have the Holy Spirit, not everybody's gifted to teach. And that doesn't mean that those who are gifted to teach are better than other people in the church. But there are certain gifts in the body because the reality is this. Why do Christians differ? And why is there you know, people who want to fight and argue or simply just you know, differ on text? The reason is because not everybody has the same understanding, same knowledge, same gifts that God has given. It's not to puff up and build up individual people. It's to actually grow and mature the church. The more that the body comes together under sound biblical teaching, not just hearing it for what it is, but being a Berean that says, I want to search the scriptures and make sure that these, these things are so. But if we're under you know, a church of leadership that's willy-nilly and who cares and let's just teach fluffy stuff, we're going to be a, a, a dead church soon, and Maricopa Springs will perish because Jesus said that would be the case unless the church is built and anchored in the truth. Let me um, thank you. Let me let me let me say some closing comments. I'll be teaching on seven steps to your best life now tomorrow. Okay, listen. Uh, you're not coming. Well, hey, I don't know. After this question, I don't know. Maybe nobody will be at church tomorrow. That's all right. I know Leanne will be there, so she'll get to hear what I've prepared. Um, I, I want to remind you of these three things, okay? Uh, that we be biblical, right? Continually evaluating our position in light of what Scripture teaches. That we be courageous, not avoiding conflict or Scripture passages that uh, are difficult for us. And that we be gentle, Seeking to please Jesus in the way that we treat one another through these discussions. Um, so that's what I'm asking you for, ultimately. Um, uh, let me let me say a, a couple final things. Um, Ken Smart asked me to read this, and I just I, I I forgot. I'm not going to because it's long, but I I would like for you to read it. I'll set it up here. If you're interested in receiving it, I'd be happy to email it to you, so you can write your email address on the back of this and. That's kind of his thoughts along this. Uh, he was one of the people who wasn't able to be here. So um, forgive me for that. 
in, in, uh, in addition to that, um, there's some books up here if you want to take any of these. Weston gave me this one that, that um, is a, a radical on, on the other side from my perspective, and I've been chipping my way through it, and it's been a good experience for me. So again, if, if you are confident in the, um, if you're confident in the place that you stand, then there should be, let me say that again. If where you are standing is the truth, then you shouldn't have any problem with somebody bringing the best that they can up against it. Um, and so, so the, 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 the person I'm leery of is the person who says, I don't want to hear your argument. Because then that makes me concerned that something in their argument will destroy the foundation that you're standing on. Um, so uh, I encourage you, if you want to, this one I can't, or can I lend somebody this one? Absolutely. Okay. I, I actually picked up a couple of books if you're, if you're the reading type and you want to grab one of these. Uh, I would ask that you don't take it for too long because there may be other people. One final thing. If you would like to talk with me personally about this discussion in more detail, I'm happy to do that. I realize that at the end of this, like, I, I don't think everybody is going to go home and be like, all right, I'm totally at peace with things now. <laughs> so if there's turmoil in your heart still and you want to talk further, I'm happy to make myself available to that. Hit me up soon. Like, let's, let's set up a time to do that. I'm leaving to go on vacation. Conveniently, <laughs> and after that, I won't have any more time to talk about going? it. So, what's that? Where are you going? San Diego. Uh, you're gonna follow me out there, <laughs> but I would be happy to talk I was about it more. Told he doesn't have self-service in the That's true. I would be happy to talk about it more. Or the other thing is, um, maybe you want to get together with somebody else in this room and just go, look, let's let's go grab lunch and let's open up our Bibles and let's talk more about this and. And let's um, let's be courageous. Yeah. Yeah. Just remember to pray for all of us together, and especially for our leadership, who is going to be basically bearing most of this, uh, most of the issues on their shoulders. So that would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, just keep everybody up. Yeah, Eric, last, last word. <coughs> I just have one thing to say. I've known Glenn a long time, and I've worked for him for a long time. Just there was no knee-jerk reaction at all. Mm. It came to him. He, he, he studied thought about this for quite some time before he made his decision. And it was just based on his own principles and his own standing that he had to make this decision. And, and I'm, I'm deeply saddened by that. My yeah. desire would be that there wouldn't be any more casualties right. as a result of this discussion. That would be my heart. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine, Learn from me, Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Let me pray for us. God, we pray that you would continue to bear fruit. And, um, man, Lord, we, we come before you and we are just 
we're broken. We're sinful. Our, our, our reasoning is flawed. Our emotions are flawed. Our conclusions are flawed. Our, we are just flawed. And so we need your spirit to guide us. We need your church to embrace us. We need your word to correct us. So, Lord, I pray that you would be working in and through those things to bring us ever deeper into your, into your heart, into your embrace. Um, Lord, where we need to be humbled, humble us. Where we need to be lift up, lifted up, lift us up. Where our eyes need to be opened further, do that. Give us wisdom, like James says. If we ask, you promise, you will. So, Lord, give us greater wisdom. And we do pray for unity, uh, like, like Jesus, like you said in the upper room, that the world will know that we are your disciples by the love that we have for one another. And so I pray that, man, the people who interact with, who brush shoulders with Maricopa Springs would see a great depth of godly love here that would prove to them that something divine is taking place, that the Spirit of God is at work and moving. And so we just... We lay these requests at your feet. We know how good and faithful you are. And even when we are not faithful, you remain faithful. And so for those things, we worship you. Amen. Again, if you want to take a look at, um, at what, uh, um, what Ken asked me to read, you would alleviate my conscience for forgetting. Linda, hey, only one. Okay. Like a lottery.